Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome into a Best Up Today's Homeowner Radio. Let's get right to our Best Up segments. Here are Danny and Joe. Here's a few recording questions that we've gotten this past week. Hi, I have a solid pine door blank that was used as a pocket door. The temperature difference between the two sides varies from 20 to 35 degrees. The original door warped and the replacement also warped. Both were painted, including the top and the bottom. Is this poor construction of the doors or is the warping caused by the temperature difference? Thanks. Wow. I'm not sure why. I mean, if you have a 20 to 35 degree difference in temperature, that would almost indicate that it's a... exposed to the outside, but certainly (laughs) it wouldn't. I've never seen a pocket door that I can recall. No, um, I don't think that's the case. On the exterior of the house. So um, I'm not real sure on that. And uh, certainly temperature doesn't really cause warping of a door as much as moisture. Now, I would uh, first suggest that that the door be sealed on all edges. So you you did mention that it was sealed on there, but it, it does need to be sealed top, bottom, sides, everywhere to prevent any moisture infiltration from causing that kind of problem, but um, I would almost have to say there's a, um, I don't know, Joe, um, a door warping is unusual anyway without some type of introduction of um, of moisture. So I'm wondering if there's some venting issues here that just that the moisture is not being vented out. So a little bit of a mystery on that one. Yeah, it's almost almost humidity, but but even if the door wasn't warping, why is there a 20 to 35 degree temperature difference? Right, yeah. From one side of the door to the other. Yeah. Unless yeah. he has like a wood burning stove in there. Right. But that would yeah. dry out the air, wouldn't Exactly, put... it wouldn't create moisture. So, not sure on that one, but uh, again, the warping is generally caused by moisture. I was wanting to know what it can do for windows that's painted in, how you can break them loose without breaking the window or whatever. Well, yeah, I can. That's that's a good point. I can certainly tell you what not to do, which some people do, is when a window is painted shut, and I'm assuming this is a uh, this is a double hung window, which is when the problem typically occurs. Is you don't want to get a pry bar and start prying on that because that is that is definitely going to break the window. So um, paint is incredibly strong when it dries; it's almost like a glue. So what you want to do is where it's glued by the paint is the door, the um, window stops that go around the perimeter of the interior of the window and rest up against the window sash that slide up and down. That's where the seal is. So what you want to do is break that seal with a super thin putty knife, a raisin knife, anything you can kind of try to slice through that paint seal and then very, very gently work that that um, sash loose. Also want to cut along the stool, which some people refer to as the window sill, but it's actually the piece of wood on the inside, lower bottom is called the, the, the stool. You want to slice that to make sure that's not painted shut. Um, and you want to slice along the meeting rail, which is where the lower sash meets the upper sash when the windows are closed. And obviously you want to unlock the windows and make sure that the lock is completely disengaged. Slight, so any basically what I'm saying is any seam that's that shouldn't be should not be painted shut. You got to slice it open. That's about really all you need to do. I have a house and I really want to change up the flooring. And I'm just wondering, can solid hardwood flooring be installed over vinyl flooring? 
Okay. All right. Well, we get the opposite uh, question a lot of times. Can uh, can vinyl be put over hardwood? But um, you can successfully install hardwood over vinyl with uh, a few conditions there. First of all, uh, if it's a heavily cushioned vinyl, which was popular many years ago, I wouldn't advise that. There's just too much movement in it. And the most important thing is that the vinyl flooring is adhered very, very well 100% of the floor. You don't want any loose areas because if you're putting down a pre-engineered floor, you're going to be gluing it down. So that glue has to stick to the vinyl that sticks to the floor underneath it. Um, if, if you're going with a full three-quarter inch floor, of course, you're going to be nailing it down, and it's not as important in terms of the condition of the floor. But yeah, there shouldn't be any problem at all on that. And a lot of times, uh, flooring professionals would say that's a great subfloor or a, um, a moisture barrier under a hardwood floor to prevent any moisture from uh, infiltrating up into it. So, yeah, I think you could be very successful on that. And there's a lot of information on our website at todayshomeowner.com about can I put this floor on top of this floor? If so, what do I do? Uh, that's a, a strong thread throughout our entire site because a lot of people are looking at that same thing. As you hate, uh, Joe, so many times we have people that are looking at um, old ceramic floor. Maybe it's a kind of old that it's you know not looking as good as it used to and they don't want to tear it out and a, a lot of times uh it's better to tear it all out for many many reasons but sometimes uh to go over it is a, you know a successful way of going we've done that a lot on the television show but um it's one of those things that's a hard decision sometimes is whether to tear it out or to leave it in place and go over it yeah sometimes the difference is if it's going to create a height problem right especially with a ceramic floor, you know, it could be half inch or even more. And if you're in a kitchen and you're putting a floor on top of it, then how do you get your dishwasher out, you know, from under the, so that, that, that's certainly a consideration. And the other thing you'd mentioned about the vinyl flooring is a good one. If it's fully adhered, what's called a fully bonded vinyl floor, so it's entirely glued down the entire flooring, then you could probably go over it. But People haven't installed fully bonded vinyl floors in many, many, many years. So it just have to be a really old floor. They're typically, for about 20 years, they're perimeter. They're glued just around the perimeter of the room. So if you go to peel it up and it's glued down, you might think, oh, the whole floor is glued down. Pull up at least 12 inches of it. You might find that the middle of the floor is not glued down at all. And that would require tearing out the entire floor. There you go. Hey, let's go to some emails here. This is a, an interesting one. Julie from Rhode Island says, Hi, Danny. I love your show. Always learn something new about home improvement. I'm not sure you can help me with this, but I have a doghouse question. We have a th <laughs> That's a first, I think. Uh, I think so. We, uh, we have a three-year-old chocolate lab who loves being outdoors. My husband built her a doghouse, which she absolutely loves. But now that it's gotten cold, I'm afraid she'll get sick out there. Do you have any suggestions? on how to keep the doghouse warm this winter. Thank you, Julie and Coco. Her husband's name is Coco? No, I do just go say that. No, it's the dog. It's the cho chocolate, chocolate lab. Chocolate lab, Joe. I get Come it. Come on now. Sorry. Well, that's interesting. I guess um, if you think about a doghouse, it's the same as thinking about your home. Uh, you got to keep the cold air out. Um, you got to provide a heat source, but uh, that's not as easy. I mean, putting a central air and heating in a three foot <laughs> by three foot thing might be a little overkill. 
Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think um, a plastic flap of some kind going in, you know, if the dog would, you know, learn to go in and out uh, of the plastic flap that you see, right. you know, kind of like uh, you see them on uh, walk-in freezers and that kind of thing. Yeah, just to block out the cold. Just, just to block out the cold. But in terms of a heat source in there, there's got to be a heated dog pad that's available that basically would just heat up the the pad might not heat up the entire environment but provide some heat you have any any other suggestions for cocoa yeah well i grew up in connecticut and we had lots of dog houses in the neighborhood and um the first thing you want to do is raise it up off the ground right you don't want it sitting especially if it's on a concrete slab but even if it's on the dirt raise it up you can put it on solid concrete blocks or just get a pallet they're basically free, right? Get it three or four inches up off the ground. That'll help a lot. Stuff the voids underneath the doghouse with hay just to block the wind from blowing in. As Danny mentioned, hang something. You can get it by a, a pet door. They make actual pet doors you can probably attach to your house. Just make the doghouse. Just make sure it's large enough to accommodate your dog. Otherwise, you can just hang a piece of fabric, carpeting, thick plastic, anything like that. Um, and they do make heaters for doghouses. And there's two kinds. One is a heated pad that they lay on, and the other is a wall-mounted heater. Um, the pads are much more affordable. The only thing I'll say about anything electric, if your dog likes to chew, and I'm not sure which dog doesn't, you have to be really, really careful of the power That's cord. right. You yeah. have to encase it either in PVC pipe or conduit or I don't know what, but you have to make sure that um, you know he can't chew through it. And also you want to orient the house, the dog house opening so it's facing the sun and preferably not the wind. You, you know, I wonder. I wonder if dogs at uh, this time of the year, uh, you, you see dogs wearing sweaters all the time. Or I do. let me rephrase that: that we see dogs uh, having sweaters put on them by their um, <laughs> th- their parents that right. want to get get pictures of the cute little Christmas sweaters on there. I wonder if most dogs in cold climates like that like those sweaters or coats or whatever they are. Um, or they just think that that's just ridiculous. I wonder. They usually look pretty embarrassed when you first put yes, them on. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I've seen ones that go on the backs of the dogs that are like down almost, and I think that probably helps, especially if you have a yeah. short-haired dog. Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Best of Today's Homeowner Radio. Happy New Year, everybody. Danny and Joe are off this week, but they will be back next week. So if you have any questions, send it to us at todayshomeowner.com slash ask or give us a call on our hotline at 1-800-946-4420. This week, I caught up with a few members of our team and asked them what was their New Year's resolution. This is what Thomas Boney, our director of digital content, TJ Snell, our web manager, and Bruno, our videographer and editor, had to say. The three words that I would use to describe the new year, hopefully for me, are organized, optimized, and successful. Good for work, good for personal. I found that if you are organized, you can hit the ground running, you're ready for anything, and you can go far. My new year's resolution for 2023 would have to be getting back into community service. Uh, I do miss it, having relocated here from Alaska, uh, I miss empowering underserved populations, which is something that I haven't done a lot of since I've gotten to Alabama. So I'd say that, uh, yeah, getting back to the people. This New Year's, my resolution is to try to get out of my comfort zone and push myself to try new things and to explore a little bit of in areas where I don't usually. 
Thank you, guys. That was Thomas, TJ, and Bruno, some of the employees here at Today's Homeowner, sharing with you their New Year's resolution. Happy New Year, everybody. This is the best of Today's Homeowner Radio. Let's grab another email here. Patrick in New Hampshire asks, I have a pine table that needs to be refinished. The tabletop has a hand-scraped texture, but also has some dents and depressions. How can I remove the depressions and still maintain the original hand-scraped look? I'm not really sure on that one. uh, If you're trying to maintain that... um, because, I mean, you could always do some, you know, some hardcore sanding and filling and then repainting, but... Uh, but you uh, don't want to lose the hand-scraped texture. Right, right. Yeah. I'm not sure not sure how to approach that one. Well, um, we could always, if he has some depressions and some, like, holes, I mean, you could just patch those uh-huh. with a filler. And then, because yeah, if, if anyone's not familiar with hand-scraped, it, it looks like what it sounds like. It's supposed to look like an actual hand-scraped tabletop so it has some undulations and some some little bit of texture in it um so to refinish it um you can refinish like anything else but yeah i would probably not sand sand it too much because you would flatten out all It'd probably that be more maybe scraping. some very select sanding and then hand sanding maybe. yeah and uh some of the um chemical stripper i'll tell you we're using we use some uh chelsea refinished a table recently and use a citrus um, clean citrus, based, uh, citrus right? yeah. based stripper that uh, wasn't very caustic and uh, uh, it really worked very very well. You know, you read those instructions on that because uh, you know a lot of times you want to um, you know clean the table and then put the um, stripper on there for a certain amount of time, and then a lot of times you'll use a plastic putty knife instead of a metal putty knife just to start the process, scraping that that first layer or two off, and then reapply it, let it work a little bit more. It's just a uh, kind of um, amazing how some of that can really lift up. No matter what you do with the chemical right. stripper, inside out, whatever, you still got to do a little bit of sanding on that. Right, and there's also a really important step that people often skip. And check again, read the instructions, as Danny said, really carefully. But and often with these chemical strippers, after you apply them, you cover the surface with either a, a paper that they give you or they recommend plastic or whatever. And the whole idea is to keep that um, stripper from evaporating too quickly so it has time to work. And especially if you have a, several coats of like a varnish or something, um, that, that's, that's the best way to go. Give that stripper as much time as possible to cut through that finish. Hey, we're trying to get to as many of these great emails as we can. You can send us one anytime. Todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Pam is asking here. Uh, this is a pretty interesting one. Hello, Danny. I love watching you. You make everything look so simple. Well, I, think, I think the same thing, Pam. That's the beauty of television. Let me tell you, we can do it as many times as we need to. Um, My home is 37 years old and my ceilings are popcorn. Yuck. There are several places (laughs) where the popcorn has just fallen off. I assume it's due to moisture. I scraped the edges and and, and I brushed on some primer. I then bought a can of popcorn spray to, to repair the bare spots. Capital letters, what a mess. The spray came out in huge globs, and it didn't look like anything like the original popcorn texture. Do you have any simple suggestions for fixing this oh, myself? God. I hate to hear that. Yeah. We, I mean, we've we've all been there. Let me yeah. let me tell you, the can texture um, has a mind of its own, and um, I mean, you really have to finesse 
that can and have good luck in order for it to work. When it says practice, when it says shake it for two minutes, shake it for two minutes. I mean, you know, if your arms get tired, hand it off to someone else and say, here, shake this thing. But yeah, you got to shake it up and you do, like Joe said, practice, get a piece of um, cardboard, sizable piece of cardboard and and just try it a little bit to see, because the, the biggest mistake most people make when they're using texture, whether it's on the walls or the ceiling, is you're putting on too much. So you want to be a you're going to you want to be further away from that wall than you might imagine and then you want to have that sweeping action to where you're keeping the same distance away from the surface as you do you know going left to right and um boy i mean just sometimes it just is is very very hard but the secret is less is better in that type of scenario and there's no shelf life on this uh on this can you right. use it once don't don't worry whatever you're going to do clean it out all you want you're not going to get any more you're not going to get any more love out of that can no matter <laughs> what you do yeah, I've seen people apply it like they're applying whipped cream to an ice cream sundae. They're up close and they've got it full, the throttle fully open. <laughs> um, yeah, you wind up with stalactites or stalagmites, whichever one hangs down from the ceiling. So, yeah, apply a light coat. And if you need to go over it again, you can, but do it quickly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the practicing is the key. And to answer her question, I mean, the only thing she can do now is scrape off what's there and, um, you know, and either try it again or call in a professional. You know, and have it, have him. You might have to do the whole ceiling to to get it to blend in. I'm not sure. Okay, another email. Um, this one. Uh, let's see, Gulf Shores, Alabama, right down on the coast there. The the uh, from Cat. Um, the exterior of our home is sided with four by eight sheets of cedar paneling. Nailed to the paneling are vertical two inch wide cedar battens. So it sounds like a, right. a board and batten style. The yep. problem is that the bottom six inches of the paneling has rotted. How can we saw off the damaged section without removing all of the batten strips? Any ideas would be appreciated. You know, now this question can be applied to a number of different scenarios. Um, when you have sheets, whether it's reverse board and batten or it sounds like this is board and batten, and you have those bottom uh, bottom parts of the sheets, you don't want to replace the whole thing. What I've done very successfully in many cases like this is just cut off the bottom six inches or eight inches of it. Maybe that's even more uh, material than you actually have water damage, but it's perfect to come back with a one by six or a one by eight and a nice little drip cap molding right on the top of it and really make um, a better looking exterior than you had before because when a lot of that siding just goes and there's no termination point this allows you to cut all of that off all the way around put these pieces in place recalk restain repaint whatever and ends up looking better than the original absolutely because first of all if you cut this off and you put the wood back guess what's going to happen in a few years it's going to yep, rot right that's right there's, exactly. there's some issue with rotting and i would even recommend if you're going to go through that trouble and replace a nice wide board is put up azec something or veranda which is a cellular pvc basically plastic lumber and it comes in white and and comes in every color as long as you want white i'm not sure it's available in many other colors and if you need to though you can prime it and paint it but that would be that would solve the problem 
probably forever. But as Danny said, you have to absolutely put on that drip cap because otherwise water will get behind there and rot the wood behind it. So right. you should and put on that aluminum or stainless steel. And drip there's cap. a little um, bit of um, uh, flashing that could be uh, <clears throat> sometimes referred to as Z-metal. And you can right. also put a little piece of trim over that. So it does provide a nice little decorative termination and trim um, look to the um, outside lower part of the house like that. And, uh, and also, like we always say, before you install that, go ahead and prime and paint the backside of it as well as the front. You're listening to the best of today's homeowner radio. Danny and Joe are off this week, but they will be back next week with us. We have a few more segments to go, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to today's homeowner radio. Here are Danny and Joe. No, I'm not Danny or Joe. I'm Corey Wilson, engineer and producer for today's homeowner radio, and you are listening to the best of today's homeowner radio. We want to say a happy new year to everybody. Danny and Joe will be back next week with us. Let's get right to the best of segments. Here are Danny and Joe. Okay, let's go to Florida here. Keith is on the line right now with a question about a cast iron tub. Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, Danny and Joe, thanks for uh, taking my call. Yeah, of course. Hey, our pleasure. What, what, what's your plans for the big cast iron heavy, heavy tub? <laughs> um, well, the house was built in the 60s, and we've owned it since uh, the 80s. And the guest bathroom has this, its pink built-in cast iron bathtub that we want to remove. Uh, it's getting rusty. My wife hates it. Um, and, uh, and it's pink. So <laughs> it's got to go. The only thing you had to say is my wife hates it. It doesn't matter anything. Yeah, there you go. Anything else doesn't matter. <laughs> well, maybe I should have my wife talk to Marla. This can, this yeah. Help me purge some stuff out. Maybe. I mean, I've waited 30 years for Pink to come back in style, but it hasn't happened. No. So I, it's go. I don't think that's on the horizon there as far as, far as no. another trend coming in on that. Well, well, i tell you, I have removed many, many, many tubs like this. And, you know, um, occasionally you'll find someone that wants a tub like this, uh, you know, for – I don't know. I'll tell you, a lot of the farmers love it because, you know, they can use it for a watering trough and things like that, even though they'd really rather have a metal one that they can uh, carry around fairly fairly easy. But um, uh-huh. but to get it out of there, um, really, the majority of the time that we've done that, uh, we've basically just broken it up into manageable pieces, uh, which I've uh-huh. just made that sound so easy, you know, but <laughs> it is not I easy. I like the way you said we. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, I'm looking at this thing, I, I suspect that it might be made from repurposed battleship armor, so I'm really not sure I get this thing out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, get you some good eye protection gloves and a good sledgehammer, and right on the very front side of it. Uh, now, be careful. Now, things are going to be flying everywhere. So I would cover uh, it with a quilted pad. Very good idea. Swinging. A, a yeah. good idea. And and, <laughs> okay. and then basically, you just swing and you hit it, and it'll crack. And then you just I mean, keep... anywhere they have to find like a sweet spot to this thing to break. Or... I, for some reason, I always do it for the dramatic effect right in the very front of it. Uh, good, uh-huh. yeah, good the front, the front middle. Right, right. right. Just like, like a swing a, in a golf club, a good strong golf swing, and uh, right in the middle of it to uh, because it's hollow behind that, so that can get it uh, breaking. Yeah. And then you just continue breaking that, and because uh-huh. I mean it's very hard to get it out like it is without tearing out a lot of walls. So doing this makes it manageable. It also you know, makes it manageable from the standpoint of uh, weight, easier to carry in there. Yeah. And uh, but you can do it in 
somewhat of a controlled fashion. Have your wheelbarrow right there that you can throw everything in. Okay. And then you can clean the studs and so forth and be ready to install the new, lighter, easier-to-manage tub <laughs> when you move forward on that. Right. Okay. All right. Keith, the only other suggestion I was going to make is, as Danny said, you start on the outside wall of the tub, right in the middle, mm-hmm. swing it like a golf club. But but really, get out one of those quilted moving pads and cover it to keep all that shrapnel from flying all over the place and you hit it once or twice it'll crack vertically then hit the very top edge of it that'll crack sometimes that'll crack down the inside wall if it doesn't then you'd repeat what you're doing is just cracking it up and over and across the floor and then you do the same thing on the back wall and you're trying to do is crack it in two big pieces it'll come out yeah that's what i'd like to do yeah but that's the way to do it because there's no way to get it out easily in one one piece. Well, I was thinking of a rocket-propelled grenade might work. <laughs> yeah, that would remove the tub, the shower, yeah, the sink. Yeah. Part of the home, yeah. Well, it is great therapy. Just if be you careful ha- doing it. It's great therapy okay. if you have any uh, anger management issues. Um, it's, a great, <laughs> okay. it's a great way for you to work that out. So. <laughs> All right. Well, and if I do get it out in one piece, I'll uh, call some farmers. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. That's the way to do it. Well, Keith, um, best of luck to you on that project. Uh, Happy New Year to you, and, uh, Happy New Year. and uh, best Thank of luck you. to you. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. All righty. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, uh, actually I should have told him that we had that on online uh, where Chelsea and I actually uh, broke that tub up in her house. And uh, again, I hit it a few times. She hit it a few times. Worked out pretty well. Well, the thing that people don't realize, it, it seems indestructible, but it's so brittle. If you hit it, it's going to crack. Right. Oh, yeah. You might be surprised. It'll crack. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the email stack here from Ohio. Jay wants to know, my front door is metal, and it's in pretty good shape except for a few dents and dings. Is there any way to pull out or fix these dents? Uh, thank you very much for any suggestion. Well, you know, you can fill those uh, pretty easily. Uh, of course, we talk about the use of automobile body filler commonly known as Bondo. Right. And uh, certainly I think uh, that would work very well. Maybe clean the dents up very, very well. Read the instructions. Be careful on adding too much of the hardener in there because it'll certainly harden up very quick. But Joe, I've seen that, um, you know, because with a metal door, of course, uh, most likely it is painted instead of gel stained. So right. uh, I think um, I think you'll find that pretty successful if you take your time and make sure you don't put too much Bondo on it. Right, yeah, he wouldn't. Jay would not be able to pull out any dents. No, the door is mm-hmm. the door is really hot, solid inside. It's not completely hollow. Um, but yeah, Bondo, you know, automobile body filler would work. But I would sand the dent really well in the surface outside the dent. You know, because you want to get a really roughened surface, clean right. surface that mm-hmm. the Bondo will stick to. Overfill the surface, sand it smooth, prime it, and paint it. No one will know you're even there. That's exactly right. Boy, do we have a treat for you! Here's our simple solution from our buddy, Joe Truini. Take it away, guys. Right now, let's go right to Joe Truini with the world-famous Simple Solution of the Week. Okay, Danny, next time you're using your miter saw to cut long pieces of wood, like molding or decking or anything really long, you can make a convenient saw table using an extension ladder. So you don't have to go out and buy a relatively expensive um, saw stand if you have an extension ladder. All you need to do is set up a couple of saw horses and lay the ladder across them, then set the miter saw in the middle. Now, depending on the base of your miter saw, sometimes you might have to put down a little piece of plywood just to hold it if it doesn't span the rails of the ladder. But that's it. That's all you need to do. And 
and you have plenty of room to work to the left and right. And if, you, if you're making really long cuts all the way to the right, you can just slide the saw down into a, the, the position you need it. And it's durable. You know, if there's any bounce, sometimes if you have a really heavy saw, you might find the ladder bounces a little bit. I've just taken a two by four and clamped it right in the middle of the ladder going straight down to the ground, like, like a leg sort of, and that mm -hmm. just takes the bounce out of it, but that's it. And it, of course it all breaks down. You store it away like you ordinarily do. So there you go. Make a makeshift saw table using your extension ladder. Well, I'll bet a few people right now are saying, gee, I wish I had known that last week, Joe, or last month, Joe, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Cause you know, you do run into those kind of situations. You hear one of the simple solutions and it makes you wish you had known it a little bit earlier. And you can find, um, you can actually view over four, 400 of these simple solutions at todayshomeowner.com slash simple solution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the best of today's homeowner radio. We still want to hear from you. So send us an email anytime at todayshomeowner.com slash ask, or give us a call at 1-800-946-4420. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. You're listening to a best of today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. Danny Lipford here along with Joe Truini, and both of us really appreciate you spending a little of your busy weekend with us here on today's Homeowner Radio. I guarantee you, spend some time with us. We're going to share with you some information you can use at your house, and we want to do that very thing right now with Michael in uh, Wisconsin has a question about his deck. So uh, tell us about the deck. I understand you have some concerns about the way it's constructed and some ongoing problems with uh, frost. Yeah, of course, in northern Wisconsin, we get lots of cold weather. So, But when the deck was originally put on, they just put the posts and stuff on top of paver blocks. They didn't go into the ground with anything, and it just sits on the paver blocks. Well, that's a problem. And there's also a roof over it, so the deck is constantly going up and down. And yeah. then we also have trouble with a couple of our doors. We have to constantly keep on adjusting those with uh, latches and stuff. It brings it up and down. Yeah. Michael, that's obviously, as you suspected, you're experiencing frost heave, not you, but the deck. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I live in Connecticut, and we have a frost line depth. I think it's 48 inches, and where you are, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 54 inches. Mm -hmm. And for people who aren't familiar, frost line depth is just, depending on where you live in the country, you have to dig down deep enough so that frost does not um, appear. So, you know, the colder it is, the deeper you have to dig. So right. you, the only solution really is to temporarily support this deck, dig out from underneath the post down to whatever your frost line depth is. And I would not bury the post. I'm not, in a, not a fan of burying any wood posts in any ground anywhere. So you just pour a concrete pier up above, let it stick up three or four or five inches, whatever, and then sit a post on that. You use a post anchor of some sort if you want, but have the post sit on that. That's going to be your only solution to preventing frost heave is by letting that support extend down past the frost line. And then, you know, you won't have that issue. And that would prevent your doors from getting all knocked out of whack because they're getting affected by this frost heave as well. Mm -hmm. Now, am I going to have to take some of the decking off in order to raise the deck up a little so that I can dig? No, no. You, I mean, you're going to support it temporarily, obviously, right? Because you're not going to just start digging out from underneath these posts. Right. You have to support it 
with like a double header going across and several posts just to support it. Cause once you start digging out, you're going to do one at a time, I suspect. Right. Um, so it's not going to be completely unsupported, but still you don't want to take a chance, but no, you shouldn't have to take up the decking at all. Cause you're only digging on underneath, right? You're not digging, you're not digging and you're not touching above the post above uh, at the top of the post. No, but what I was thinking of, uh, if I couldn't get at it the right way that I wanted to do it, Right. If I dug a hole, like maybe next to where the posts are, and then installed new posts. Yeah, like a new sonic tube, and then just put a post up to the deck. Oh, you could put in new posts next to the old ones. I'm not sure um, if that'd be less work or more work, but you're still going to have to. If your deck has sunken, you're still going to have to raise it. You know, if you're saying it's, you know, it's it's frost heaved up and now it's too low, you're going to have to jack it up anyway. Right, um, and I mean the deck is only like a six by six by six or six by eight deck. So right. Oh, okay. Well, I, in any case, if the existing posts are in good shape, I would I would just try to pour new footing under. And, and what you might be able to do there, really, if the if the deck is only that small, you could get a ten or twelve foot four by six and put it underneath next to the post um, horizontally, and then support it on either end. Then you could do, you know, the two or the three that you have there at one time, and then, you know, um, put the, the sonic tubes are good, which are, you know, round tubes that you can bury down in the 48 inches or so, and then pour the concrete, and then, you know, a couple days later, put them back on place. So that, that'd probably be a really good solution on it, but um, certainly a uh, uh, would recommend taking care of it because that's definitely something that could be affected by a lot of different weather conditions. I'm just worried about trying to be able to get to dig at it and stuff because a lot of the ground up here is clay too. Right, and yeah. And just trying to dig at it and... Well, I would I would also keep in mind that you can rent an auger very reasonably, a one-person or two-person auger, and get in there right beside that post if you decide to do that. Or you may cut the post off and splice it as it's coming down and uh, then just drill those things out. It may be well worth it when you have some, you know, challenging digging like that, especially mm-hmm. a 48-inch hole. Uh, that's uh, that, That'll that work out on those biceps pretty strong. Oh, yeah, yeah. but I, I mean, I'm just worried about trying to get in you know, from the edge of the deck because they're right out on the very end, you know, uh-huh. as far as for getting in and trying to get the hole in there right, uh-huh. fairly straight and everything. That's why I was wondering if I was going to have to take one or two of the yeah. pieces of the deck off. Yeah. Well, I would probably, um, I, w- I would certainly try to um, keep the alignment of the existing posts that you have when you reset them. So it may be cutting it off and then, um, you know, or removing the post, cutting the nails and removing the post and then put a new one in its place is going to be ultimately the, the better way of going. This is the best of today's Amona Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner radio. Here are Danny and Joe. No, I'm not Danny or Joe. I'm Corey Wilson, engineer and producer for Today's Homeowner Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this best of Today's Homeowner Radio. Hope you and yours are having a wonderful new year. We look forward to hearing from you next week. Danny and Joe will be back with us. So until then, send us your emails at todayshomeowner.com slash ask. And let's get right to our simple solutions. Danny and Joe, take it away. So glad to be with you each and every week here on Today's Homeowner Radio. 
Radio. You know, we hope that we're able to provide you some solutions to aggravating problems that you might have around your home. You know, almost every day you might come across something and it can really build up on you and you start making a list and it gets overwhelming. Well, don't let that happen to you. Just knock off a one or two things every now and then. Run to over to todayshomeowner.com and find the solutions on that. And some of those solutions can be very simple and we've got one right now from my buddy joe truini nice segue you are a professional okay danny this one is uh every do-it-yourselfer probably is using a nail apron or a tool pouch when they're working on their house which is a great way to organize your tools and fasteners and all the things you need to carry around when as you're working but the downside the the restriction of those is that once you fill up the pouches with nails or screws and you need to switch to a different size or different type of fastener. You have to empty out the whole pouch and fill it back up. So here's how to make liners. This is a, I've used this before, and it's a great system. You take an empty um, one-quart motor oil bottle, right? So you have these empty bottles of motor oil that you use after you put oil in your car. You cut the top off, like the top third of the bottle, so you just have this rectangular plastic sleeve, for lack of a better word, and they fit perfectly into the nail apron pouches and into the uh, tool pouches. And then you just fill it with whatever nails or screws you need, and when you need to switch them, just slide out the entire plastic liner and then you slide another one in so you could have like i have eight or ten of these lined up down on my workbench and they have different screws or fasteners different sizes and so if i'm switching from like a two inch screw to a three inch screw i don't have to empty it out i just pull out the liner and slip in the other one quick and easy and it works every time so try that and i think you'd be surprised how how um effective it is at when you go to use your tool pouch or your nail apron boy what a great idea that's that's a lot better than what i do sometimes when i'm trying to when i have you know a, a number of fasteners that i need right. I, I found these um these two little uh, kids um size <laughs> nail aprons and i just strap one on each of my thighs And then I have my regular belt. So I have a lot of things there. Sometimes they slide down and I have to put on suspenders or whatever, or sometimes I just wire them to my belt. That's and, a good uh, idea. It makes yeah. a little noise when I walk around and clang around and things like that. <laughs> Plus, you walk around with like 80 pounds of nails. Yeah. But, you know, you know, I found um, years ago, I came across this little bitty toolkit. Everything was miniature. I mean, it was canvas. It had a little belt. And, you know, I right. said, well, I don't guess, you know, I've got three girls. I'm never going to have a, a son or anything. And I put that thing away, hung it up, and said, ah, well, you know, whatever. Well, then along came Gus, my um, grandson, about a uh, year and a half ago. And... And um, so I um, found that thing and found a little bitty hammer and a little oh, some pliers and things out of some of my handy andy toolkits. I fixed that thing up and I gave it. I gave I gave that to Gus. Now he was only six weeks at the time, so I don't think oh. he knew knew it. But uh, but uh, it won't be long before my little buddy will be putting that thing on and uh, going out on the job with me. There, I gotta guess I need to let him uh, get a little older before we start pounding those nails, but right. not much older. Yeah, well, I'm sure Chelsea will be calling you in a few months saying, Dad, I've got little tiny nail-shaped <laughs> dents in all my walls about two feet up from the floor. What could that possibly be? It'll, and you'll have to say, gee, honey, I have no idea. What could that possibly it'll be? It'll be time to grab the drywall <laughs> compound there. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Today's Home on Radio. This has been a best of episode. Danny and Joe are off this week. They will be back with us next week. So if you want to, reach out to us at any time at todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Give us a call. 
on our hotline at 1-800-946-4420. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest by searching at Today's Homeowner. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. And we really wish that you have a great 2023. See you next week. This is Today's Homeowner Radio.